I'm Elena Salinas, software engineer and host of the Women in Tech show, technical interviews with prominent women in tech. As software engineers, we are constantly updating our skills and learning about new tools and technologies. Amy Chen, systems software engineer at Heptio, explains how she learned to use Kubernetes by building Helm charts. We talked about common ways to learn Kubernetes by using the command line interface and later discussed the benefits of learning Kubernetes by building Helm charts. We also talked about Amy's side projects, which include a YouTube channel called Amy Codes and Ladies Storm Hackathons. If you're interested in artificial intelligence, check out MTech Digital 2018. This is a conference that brings together entrepreneurs, innovators, and policy leaders to discuss the latest technologies. The event is on March 26 to 27 in San Francisco. I went there last year and I highly recommend it. This year, there will be discussions ranging from the next generation of AI to its effects on the enterprise, healthcare, finance, and transportation. Check it out again. This event is called MTech Digital. That's E-M-Tech, one word, then digital. And it's organized by the MIT Technology Review. You will hear from leading companies like Alphabet, IBM, Baidu, Google, Amazon, and many more. So check it out. That's MTech Digital 2018 in San Francisco. Thank you for listening. Amy Chen, systems software engineer at Heptio, is joining us today. Amy, welcome to the Women in Tech show. Thank you. So the topic of today's episode is going to be based on a talk that you gave at KubeCon 2017 in Austin, Texas, a few weeks ago. And your talk title is Building Helm Charts from the Ground Up, an Introduction to Kubernetes. I thought this was really interesting because in the abstract, you describe of how most tutorials are a certain way and that might not be a good introduction for everyone. Mm -hmm. So before we get into this, I want to talk about the high level concepts of Kubernetes. What would you say those are? Yeah, sure. So I guess I'll, I'll sort of do like a little spiel from the beginning of my talk. So the idea, like when I first like delved into this realm, I like had no understanding of you know, what containers and Kubernetes are. So uh, the way I like to describe containers is just like the foundational pieces of Kubernetes is like you have a bunch of like baby computers, right, that you're putting onto another computer. And so these baby computers need like organizational abstractions, right? So we have ideas of scheduling these baby computers together. We have ideas of these baby computers talking to one another. We have uh, an idea of like, grouping them together so that they can work as a unit sort of thing. And so what Kubernetes to me is, is like this like organizational abstraction to sort of uh, organize these baby computers, in other words, containers. <laughs> okay, I see. So the high level concepts, in a sense, will be what you just described of scheduling. Networking, yeah. Okay, grouping them. 
Talk about the common way to learn Kubernetes that you noticed as you started to dive into this area. Sure. So I guess I'll explain how I sort of learned it. So my previous job was at Rancher Labs. Uh, I worked at a software engineer there. And uh, what they had me do was actually start out learning like Docker things. So this is coming from like no understanding, right? So obviously people who come in with an understanding of Docker probably don't need this stuff. So the first thing that I did was create like a Docker compose file. Mm -hmm. And so that is just sort of like hooking together individual containers. And I did that. So I created a Docker compose file to launch, I think, like a Nginx instance and like stick on a web app for that. So then after that, then the next step is learning about Kubernetes and working with, you know, like the Kubernetes manifest charts. And so for Kubernetes, then my next task was, okay, so I know how Nginx works and I know how to configure Nginx. Now what I need to do is, is like translate those similar concepts except on Kubernetes. And so then what I did was is I created a Kubernetes manifest Helm chart for that. Okay. In terms of like what I've seen other people do, like, because my situation was different, right? Where it's like I had these specific goals and tasks to kind of complete. It was great to learn because you sort of had this goal and you had to fill in the missing pieces, right? Mm-hmm. I think that Linux, the Linux Foundation, they have like a free Kubernetes course. So I've heard great things about that. Yeah. Well, one thing I wanted to bring up, I think um, I saw in the abstract is that you came across a bunch of command line focused tutorials. Yeah, sure. So in my abstract, I was specifically talking about Q-Control, Q-Cuddle. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't know how people pronounce it. So to me, I think that was really difficult to sort of like wrap my head around when I was first beginning because I didn't understand a lot of the concepts, for instance, like uh, deploying resources and that there has to be like a specific order that you deploy these resources. Were these beginner label tutorials? Yeah, a lot of these were beginner label tutorials. So they, it's like when you first begin, right, it's like they can explain you know, we're deploying this resource, but you don't know what a resource is. And then you don't realize that they're deploying these things in a specific order. Mm -hmm. And what I wanted to just sort of do was just have like one command line to sort of release everything and just sort of like reiterate on that. And that's sort of like where Helm came in and was super useful when I was first starting out. And then I sort of like backtracked and learned Q-Control for more like like fine tuning of my charts and things like that. But yeah, Helm was really great for like first beginning because you don't really have to initially understand all of the overhead that's involved with keep control and like learning about all these resources and things like that. Mhm. I see. Actually, I'd like to understand a bit more about this. So you come across a tutorial, beginner tutorial, command line based. Mhm. Can you just describe a bit of this? Like, sure. It's just it would just be a terminal, and then they sort of walk you through typing commands. Yeah. So a lot of the tutorials that I saw were like charts that they sort of created for you, and you would just like copy and paste them, and then run these commands. So, for instance, let's like talk about like a specific. Like, I'm just creating this. Like, what? 
this in my mind. I don't remember if this was an actor tutorial, but it, this is like the flow that I sort of remembered. So they would like present to you a manifest chart and then they wouldn't really explain much about it except like what resource it was. And then it would be like Q control, apply dash F and then whatever resource it was. And then it would keep on like alternating between here's the manifest chart and then deploy this and then deploy it with Q control kind of thing. Mm -hmm. And so like I found that the difficulty I had was is like actually constructing these manifest charts. Or another thing is that a lot of the command line stuff did was is like I think it was like just like running the image within a pod itself and then adding flags to it. So there was no manifest chart sometimes. The thing is, though, with like Kubernetes, it's like everything is surrounded, is surrounding uh, being able to construct these YAML files, right? Like learning how to hook everything up and like deploying these resources. And like Helm, what it allowed me to do was sort of just like focus on the manifest chart itself, this YAML file, and then like not worry about the deployment because like Helm just sort of handles everything for me. And right. Okay. So that was like where it sort of like came in where I didn't have to learn too much overhead to deploy something, which was something I found like super great. Okay. I want to talk now more about the details of your talk and the way you are trying to introduce Kubernetes to new people and how you learned it along the way. One of these components is a Helm chart. Can you first explain what Helm is? So what Helm is, is the default Kubernetes package manager. And essentially what it allows you to do is group each deployment of your cluster. So it allows you to version control your cluster. So let's say you have an update for one of the resources on your cluster, right? What you want to be able to do is say these changes belong to one version so that you can roll back your cluster to uh, different states of your cluster, so different versions. So let's say, you know, version two has some sort of bug, you can roll back to version one of your cluster and sort of have these resources in the same state that they were before and uh, have that state coupled together between the resources. So this is analogous to, for example, a node package manager, right? Sure. I've never played around with node, but I'm assuming, yeah, like it's pretty similar. <laughs> okay, yeah, because some people might have used it. That's why I asked that. Let's see. So this is a package manager for Kubernetes, right? Correct. What sort of applications can we find in this package manager? So you can find a lot. So there's a lot of default packages that are like sample packages that Helm has. Basically, anything that you can stick into a Kubernetes manifest is something that you can stick into Helm, right? Mm -hmm. All Helm is, is it package manages the state of uh, your cluster. So what this means is essentially it boils down to the YAML files. And would you want to revert to a different state when there's a regression or something like that? Yeah, so in terms of reverting to different states, there's, uh, right, so regressions, so... Let's say there's a security flaw in your current state and someone is unable to push up a fix quickly. You can revert back to a state that's more secure. But I think it's more about updating to newer versions of your cluster yeah. and just having that compliance and being able to make certain promises for certain versions. Yes, that's true. It's more about moving forward than just backward. Yeah. 
can you explain what a Helm chart is? Because the first time that I saw this, I haven't used Helm or Kubernetes. And when I saw Helm charts, I imagine a visual chart, like a graph or something like that. But (laughs) it turns out it's not. So can you just explain a bit of what this is? Sure. On a high level, a Helm chart is just a grouping together of YAML files. So on the top of the on the top directory of a Helm chart, what you have is the chart definition. So it'll have metadata, for instance, like the author, the chart name. So let's say we want to deploy Nginx on our cluster. We can call this chart Nginx. And then the version, right? Mm-hmm. And then a description. And then the next layer, we have a directory called templates. And this is where we put all of our Kubernetes manifest files. And this is every like all of our resources and what our chart will be deploying and like coupling the version together for. Mm-hmm. It's also something called a values where you can basically put in templating brackets into your YAML file and insert values within the values file. So let's say you wanted a specific version of nginx so let's say nginx i don't know what version it is now i think it's 1.13 or something like that you can define that in your values file so that all of your configuration values are in one spot and then it'll work on replacing that within the yaml file itself Mm -hmm. so right so helm as a summary is a grouping together of yaml files that creates your deployment on your cluster so it's not just a config file. No. It's a way to organize your application. It's a directory of certain items. Right. So there's definitely a certain file structure that everything needs to comply to, but it's a bunch of YAML files. Mm-hmm. And in terms of configuration type things, that's usually within the values file. So the values will input the configuration values you have for your chart. Mm-hmm. You mentioned YAML several times, so I just, in case some people don't know what it is, can you just explain what YAML is? Sure. So I don't remember the word for it, but YAML is basically another file formatting, I guess. So it's similar, mm-hmm. I guess a comparison you can make is to JSON, which is another sort of formatting thing that people know about. But yeah, it's basically like a formatting in that realm where you can have uh, different key value pairs. Yeah. Okay. And we've been talking about Helm and Helm charts, and this is an important component of the talk you gave because you're saying using these tools makes for a good introduction to Kubernetes. What makes the Helm chart a good way to get started with Kubernetes? Sure. So Helm charts, the reason why I think it's a great way to start learning about Kubernetes is because... Let's say you just want to deploy a chart with Nginx. So those charts are available out there. So what I did when I was first learning was I read through the charts and I was able to understand how everything interacted with each other. And you're able to just deploy these things on your cluster without really needing to understand how they work if you don't want that deep of understanding. But if you want to understand more, you're able to read through the manifest files and things like that. Another reason why it's awesome is because of like the Helm tool itself, because back to that deployment thing where it's just a one-click deal and all you have to do is create your manifest charts and just 
run Helm install and it'll install it for you. Mm -hmm. And the reason why I really like Helm is because it doesn't abstract away the details, but it allows you to sort of meet you where you are in terms of your understanding of Kubernetes, where you're able to just install these created packages that other people have created already. Mm-hmm. There are these charts that other people have created already. If you don't want a deep understanding and it'll just work. If you want a deeper understanding, you can create your own charts and install your own charts and it'll just work as well without having to dive too far too early when you're not ready to. The way that I'm understanding this is analogous to an MBC application model B controller where you can open someone's application and based on how it's structured, you can find things that you're looking for or understand how things work. Is that a similar story then? Yeah. It's a standard way of organizing. Yeah. I mean, that's definitely the way that I learned. Um, I think people probably have different learning styles and did start with Control, run, you know, whatever images into a pod kind of thing. (laughs) But to me, it was extremely disjoint in the sense of like, all of these lines were run and I had no idea how they related to each other. Whereas looking at these manifest charts, looking at these charts, manifest files and looking at these charts, I was able to connect the dots and see what pods are talking to each other, what services I've created, you know, what resources are interacting with each other. And that for me was really important. Yes. And I think this approach is good for also people that haven't worked in this space at all. Maybe those other tutorials that we talked about are fit for people that just are onboarding to a new tool from a different one and things like that. Yeah. And the other thing I think is the fact that it's organized makes it for a good learning experience, but also for a good developing experience, maintainability and things like that. Right? Yeah, definitely. I would agree. Okay. Yeah, because then if you have a new hire, it's like, uh, what are all these commands versus if it's just all neatly organized, I think. Yeah, definitely. Mm -hmm. So the ways in which Helm provides a bigger picture of your cluster, is it because of this file structure and the ways things are organized? Yeah. So the reason why I think it provides a bigger picture is because, right, so I think metadata tells you a lot, right? So you have this chart that has a description itself of what the chart is, right? And then beyond that, I think the values file is very valuable because you can also gain another higher understanding of what's going on in your chart and what values you need to configure. For instance, like what versions and things like that for the container images you want. And then you can delve further into the templates directory and sort of look at your different manifest files and see what's going on within your cluster. Mm -hmm. So it like provides like each as deep of a layer as you want to understand what's going on inside your cluster. And you've been working in this area at Heptio where you're a system software engineer. Can you just give a bit of background of what Heptio does? Sure. Yeah. So Heptio, they are a one-year startup. I believe it's like just about one years old right now. And the idea is to make Kubernetes easy to use. In terms of expanding beyond that, I think we have a couple of open source products already released. So we have um, Scanner, which scans, uh, runs, uh, I believe, conformance testing. We have Arc for disaster recovery. And I believe 
there's another one that I'm forgetting the name of, but there's a lot of really interesting things going on with Heptio. Mm-hmm. And I'm really excited to have joined this company. And also Seattle is beautiful. <laughs> oh, are you based in Seattle? Yeah, yeah. I didn't know. I thought you were in SF. I'm in Seattle. We should have just met in person for this. Oh, <laughs> I didn't realize. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see. I'm actually a bit curious about working at a startup because right out of school, I joined Microsoft, a very big corporation. So what has it been like working at a one-year startup? Yeah. So at Rancher, so when I was at Rancher, they were a two-year startup. Okay. And so I'm the opposite experience when I'm like right out of college, I'm going to really young startups. Yeah. And so, right, Heftio is one-year startup. And I think the similarities between both is that there's a lot that needs to be done, right? So in terms of like, for instance, like deployment processes and mm-hmm. like formalizing these sort of things, the reality is, is like we are still hiring people so that we have more engineering resources and we are very young and there's only so much time and we have deliverables, right? So all this stu- stuff, it's awesome because everything you is something that like I would need to implement. And I've never worked at a larger company because during internships and stuff, I worked at Behance, which is acquired by Adobe. So it still had that like small company feel kind of thing. Um, But I've heard from like peers that work at like Google or Microsoft or Amazon, they have like these very structured sort of like release pipeline sort of things. Yeah. Some of them set up decades ago for some teams. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. I think the other thing that I noticed is like, yeah, because of, you know, lack of time, lack of resources or, or uh, incoming resources that we're about to get but don't have yet. It's like we are we don't have the justification to build everything in-house, right? Like that's not a good use of our time, at least for now. Like maybe when we get a lot larger, it would be helpful. Mm-hmm. But so we have to look outwards for resources that like for tools that already exist and that have good like, you know, like maintenance that's maintained and things like that. Which is the beauty of open source, right? (laughs) That you can leverage. Yeah, definitely. It's a lot of fun. It's crazy, but it's a lot of fun. (laughs) Sure. And another thing I've heard, maybe this is wrong, I just want to ask you, is if you're joining a young startup, be prepared to like work on marketing and finance in addition to software engineering. Would you say that's accurate or it varies from startup to startup? Um, could you expand more upon that? So like what aspects of marketing and financing, for instance? Well, that just there's tasks that need to get done in marketing and you might just be asked to do those things. Oh, got you. Or uh, there's some work that needs to be done, you know, in financing and managing clients. And because there's very few people, you might end up doing that, even though all you wanted to do was (laughs) write software. So is that a good picture of it? Or I guess, does it vary depending on what startup you join or or the role, maybe? So I definitely have not experienced that within Rancher or Heptio, largely because maybe it's different because I'm in an engineering role, but I definitely haven't experienced that. Okay. But uh, what I do think is every person needs to put on a lot of hats within their own realm, I guess. So for engineering, for instance, it's like, I need to be able to juggle 
learning about a lot of different tools, a lot of different projects and things like that, and be able to switch hats for these different projects. I'm assuming folks that work in like operations or logistics and things like that kind of like dip into each other's roles as well. Mm -hmm. And I guess another difference would be, since there's few people, there's a lot of unknowns, you get more freedom to explore things, maybe, versus if you're right out of college. Absolutely. Well, what I've seen, the normal experience is you're right out of college, a big company, maybe at first you get very structured problems to solve. Yeah, I felt like both at Rancher and at Haptio, I do feel like I have a lot of freedom in terms of like which projects I want to work on or how even how to solve the problem, right? Because these tasks are sort of like delegated to you for you to think about. However, the great thing is, is like, and I think this happened for managers at both places, is that like they will definitely step in if you need help and if you express that you need help or like check in on you and things like that. Because there's still an understanding, right, that like, yeah, I, I just graduated college like earlier this year. So there's only so much that I'm able to consider. And the thing that I find really great is when my managers like pose questions to me, for instance, like, have you considered this? Or have you thought about that, uh, mm -hmm. you know, F case kind of thing? Because like those sort of things only come through experience, which I'm still developing, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that's true in terms of growing through all levels of my career that I'll look for within a manager to help prompt me to those questions where like they won't give me the answer, but they will help guide you. Guide you. Yeah. Yeah. Was Rancher the first company you joined right after college? Yeah, it was. Okay. So I'm just a little curious because you joined Rancher, which is an open source container management platform. Now you're at Heptio, which is also still in this containers Kubernetes space. Were you exploring this while you were in school? Um, no. So for containers and Kubernetes, like, so I guess I'll just start with like senior year of college. I think a lot of how I delved into this world was like, by accident and super like serendipitous. So okay. I, my internships were all in backend web development kind of stuff. And it's mm -hmm. like, I wasn't an expert by any means. Um, but I knew that like, after two years or so, like, I would get to a point where I would like, have, like, I would be able to understand much of what there is out there. And I wanted something that was a larger field that had like, a lot more areas I can you know, go into mm -hmm. and not be an almost expert, expert after two years. So I knew I didn't want to do web development. And then my friend, she told me to follow Jesse Frizzell on Twitter. <laughs> so yeah. then he was like talking about containers and Go and all of these things. So then I like looked into what they were and it was exciting. And I can't say I didn't like my decision to jump in this area was like, uh, like I definitely did jump onto the bandwagon, right? Like it was partially hype, <laughs> but mm -hmm. I, I think sometimes it's good to take that leap and like look to see what technology trends are like are coming up. So three months prior to me applying for full-time jobs, I learned Go so that because I knew that all these companies were using Go and that was a very infrastructure-y language. So then I interviewed in Go and I think I made like a small web app or something or like API endpoint with Go and like added unit testing so to show that like I kind of sort of knew how to use Go. But and then I just applied to a bunch of places. And so 
Rancher happened and then now Heptia. <laughs> okay. And when you said you were doing web development, you said it was backend, right? Was it yeah. like APIs and things like that? Yeah. So I was working on, so I worked at Behance for two summers and I was working on like the Behance backend website itself. So I was working in PHP. Okay. And then you said a friend introduced you to Jess, it's her name? Uh, so she told me to follow Jesse Frizzell on Twitter. Okay. Well, that's awesome that you got motivated by the work that she's doing and what she talks about and what she's building. Yeah. It helps that she's like incredibly excited about what she does too. So I was like, oh, this looks really cool and she seems to like it. So I'll do it too. <laughs> yeah. 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 It's definitely a, a very big area based on what I saw at KubeCon and what everyone's working on. And yeah, the recurrent theme that I saw there is a lot of people want to make this a friendlier technology so that not just hardcore hackers get to work on the cloud, but this is exposed to a broader audience so they can build their own tools and applications is yeah. the sense that I got. Was there something that you noticed while you were at KubeCon? Um, not noticed per se, but like mm -hmm. probably reinforced. So I think that the Kubernetes community is a very important part of the product itself in the sense of this is true for Go as well. For both communities, they are so incredibly friendly and also like, you know, super important people that like make decisions about Kubernetes. They're extremely accessible as well. And they're also really humble and nice. And you can talk to them about things other than Kubernetes as well. And I think that's like the part I really like about Kubernetes in the sense of everyone is incredibly helpful. They'll meet you where you're at, like what expert level, expertise level you're at mm -hmm. and help guide you and they like make a very concerted effort to bring in new people and you know like level up people who already know about Kubernetes and like they're there with you like along the way so mm -hmm. yeah KubeCon was like a lot of me saying hi and like hanging out with people that like I interact with a lot on the internet <laughs> yeah. so it was really great it was a lot of fun and what was your experience like with the talk that you gave yeah sure Um, I was definitely very relieved when it was over. <laughs> I think that's true of like most talks just because like of like prepping the night before and then having that relief. Well, you didn't just prep the night before, right? There was this longer no, process. No, yeah, I've given, I've definitely given this talk a couple of times, but I wanted to change some of the demo portion. So it was just like practicing and making sure it was smooth. And right before my talk, I was definitely nervous, but as soon as I got on stage, I, I felt a lot better. You mentioned that you like a lot the community in this space, like in Go, in Kubernetes. KubeCon was a clear example of that. It was 4,000 attendees or something like that, I think. Yeah. And you're also very active online, on Twitter, with this community. Before we finish, I want to talk a little bit about this. I saw a few months ago that you run a YouTube channel called Amy Codes. Can you explain what this is and the motivation for starting it? Sure. So I watch a lot of YouTube videos. So what I watch YouTube videos. Yeah, I watch beauty vloggers. I watch travel vloggers. I just love the format of vlogging in the sense of they sort of invite you into a small slice of their life and make themselves appear incredibly relatable, right? But then they sort of like slip in this, you know, 
very specific and technical video about their specific area and are able to build enough support within their channel where people will take their opinion seriously, right? And like, they sort of establish themselves as like, you know, an expert in this area. And that's sort of what I wanted to do in like a tech kind of way. And I wanted to be able to talk about non-technical and like technical aspects of being a software engineer and like software engineering topics and things like that. So this was, I wanted to sort of experiment with this format. And so I've always wanted to have a YouTube channel. So Amy Codes happened. <laughs> okay, that's awesome. Yeah. And you mentioned you have a mix of technical videos yeah. and not so technical videos. Can you give an example of something that you talked about that, that's not technical, but still related to this engineering field? Sure. So I could talk about two videos. So one of my videos that I created was about imposter syndrome and like managing that and how I manage that and sort of like set my expectations in terms of how I'm supposed to perform and things like that and personal experiences that I had. Another video that I created that's like non-technical but still related to software engineering is, you know, like what should you do during the first week on the job? And I sort of like laid down some tips. So those were two videos that I created and um, mm -hmm. it was really fun making them. Well, that's actually very interesting, especially the first one, the imposter syndrome one. What were some of the things that helped you deal with this? Or let's take a step back. When did you first notice that maybe you were experiencing it? Yeah, so I definitely experienced it when I first started studying computer science in college. Mm -hmm. So I started computer science sophomore year of college because freshman year, I was like, oh, I'm going to go to medical school and do the pre-med route. And I studied cellular biology and neuroscience. And then I realized that I like did not like it. <laughs> mm -hmm. So then I, then I came to CS. So I think during college, it was weird because prior to that, all of my peers and my friends were mostly women and they were all incredibly intelligent. Mm -hmm. And then going to CS, all of a sudden, it's like the demographic just suddenly changed where I was all of my friends were guys and like interacting with guys is definitely kind of different with like with my other friends and they would make like weird comments and things like that. Okay. Um, <laughs> and had you already done coding in high school? No, I haven't. So okay. it was interesting. Did you take an intro to programming in college or did you just jumped out of pre-med? Yeah. So I changed my major to computer science sophomore year. So that's when I first took Uh, introduction to computer science class. Okay. And then I would say like, I don't feel like, I definitely feel like imposter syndrome has been managed a lot for me personally, like after college, because like after I got paid to do this, I'm like, oh, okay. Like people are paying me to do this job. Everyone is still learning. Technology changes all the time that you might become an expert, but then in five years you're obsolete. Absolutely. Would you say running this YouTube channel has helped you in this aspect of managing imposter syndrome? Yeah, I think also applying to conferences has helped a lot too, where it's like, sometimes I think people, including myself, can be incredibly self-critical, right? Where it's like, oh, like, I don't actually know that much. So I don't feel like I'm an expert. And I, so therefore I cannot talk about this topic. Like mm -hmm. I am by no means an expert in any of the things that I like in, in Kubernetes by any means, because I like just started in this realm, but I had yeah. enough to construct a beginner talk, right? It's like, 
For me, formalizing knowledge and like writing it down either in a blog or like putting it into a YouTube video is really important to me learning because if I teach it, that means I really understand it, right? So definitely like making YouTube videos, writing blogs, and yeah, applying to conference talks and doing talks has really helped me in terms of like, okay, like I formalize this knowledge and I now know enough about it to explain it to someone. And what is an example of a technical topic that you've talked about in this YouTube channel? Sure. So I did a academia paper walkthrough. So mm -hmm. this was, I was reading through the Borg paper. So what Borg is, is like Google's internal version of container management stuff. Mm -hmm. And Kubernetes was like inspired by that. So I did a paper walkthrough, which is really fun. And I like learned a lot more. I feel like I learned a lot more about Kubernetes by reading that paper <laughs> as yeah. well, which is kind of funny. Um, and it was cool where they like took these lessons and you can see where they applied it in Kubernetes. And so you then have an understanding of like why certain things are the way they are in Kubernetes because of it. What made you choose the video format instead of just audio? like a podcast? Yeah. So I think that like, to me, visuals are important and being able to see the person who's speaking. I like really, what I really wanted to have is sort of this like connection to my audience and like building that audience just because I think it's really useful in terms of like getting feedback. Also just in terms of like having people understand who you are and the platform that you're building is something really important to me. And it's like definitely very much like a career and like professional kind of goal yeah. to like establish myself in this industry. But also just on like a personal level, it would be cool to be able to like relate to my audience and things like that. When it certainly helped me identify you in the sponsors expo. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah. yeah like you, I knew who yeah. you were, you didn't know who I was. So <laughs> that was funny. And another thing you've done for the community is founded Ladies Storm Hackathons. What is this? So it's actually a Facebook group. And I think now it's like 10,000 people large. It's like crazy mm -hmm. big. I like can't believe it. So sophomore year of college, something that I did was like help organize a hackathon. And so as a part of that, like I went to a lot of hackathons. And something I noticed was basically like the gender disparity. And I really wanted to be able to communicate and like make friends with like other peers, like who are also interested in going to hackathons who mm. were not male basically. <laughs> and so I created that and it started out like really small, but then people like peers and friends kept on adding each other from like different schools. So like now we have people from like the UK and India and like I think maybe also Australia I've seen but it's mm -hmm. grown really large and like the idea is I wanted to make sure that it was like a safe space where people could like ask questions either about technical topics so it's like how do you do this specific technical thing like how do you like hook up a database or something like that and then from that to also like sharing their experiences so a lot of people will share their experience about like, you know, disparaging comments or even successes as well, right? Like that's also super important. Mm -hmm. And then another thing that people talk about in the group a lot are career advice, which is either asking for career advice or providing career advice. So it's basically just this community like connection point for people to like grow together. 
And it's funny because it started out as, you know, like the focus point being hackathons, but now it's just sort of expanded beyond that to, you know, career development and technical help and, and things like that. Yeah. So when it started focused on hackathons, was this also about finding a team to attend the hackathon with? Partially that and also just like knowing other people that are going to the same hackathon that I was <laughs> that okay. uh, that was not male <laughs> or just like finding a friendly face. Basically, I was ultimately just making this group to make friends. <laughs> well, that's a great initiative, I think. Well, Amy, thank you so much for taking the time to come on the show and talk about what you talked about at KubeCon, what you learned there and some initiatives you're doing to give back to the community. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Mm-hmm.